Experts say the space market could exceed $1 trillion by 2030. What's it actually mean to have an infrastructure and an economy in space? If people are going to be able to live and work in space and actually create money in space, you have to have an infrastructure. And a lot of the infrastructure that will be required is not that different from the infrastructure we expect here on Earth. That's Lockheed Martin's Lisa Callahan. She's the Vice President and General Manager of Commercial Civil Space. Today, she joins senior partner Lorena Yee in conversation about the future of an economy in space. Welcome to At The Edge, a production of McKinsey's Technology Council. I'm Mina Alagnand. Hi, Lisa. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Analysts suggest that the space market could exceed $1 trillion by 2030. Tell us a little bit about the types of scientific and technology advances that we're seeing, specifically for the space-to-Earth economy. This is a really, really exciting time for space, and there's more new entrants coming into this community than ever before, more international space stations that are engaging than ever before. And when I think about the technology advances and how space is driving the Earth economy, there's two areas that really come to mind that I'll just use as examples of it. Both are near and dear to our hearts here at Lockheed Martin. One is GPS and we build the GPS satellites for the Space Force. And the other is um, weather, and we build the GOES-R series of spacecraft for NOAA and NASA. GPS is about a $300 billion per year economy here on Earth. And since its inception, it's estimated to have been $1.4 trillion just in the U.S. alone. Just look at the rideshare industry, which is $60 billion a year, which is just crazy, all because of GPS space assets that are providing that GPS signal. Weather is very similar, right? The weather satellite market, it's $162 billion a year from a a U.S. economy perspective, and space assets are about 77% of that. So space is really playing a huge role in the economy here on Earth. The other thing I just would highlight is our weather assets are actually protecting our Earth economy. The GOES weather series, part of our goal and objective is to improve forecasting for severe weather. Lockheed Martin builds the geostationary lightning mapper. We're able to watch lightning across the U.S. through our GOES satellites that we have. And that lightning, coupled with severe storms, is helping us to predict where severe storms are really going to happen, where we might see tornadic activity And the GOES satellites are also helping with hurricane predictions. And the interesting thing from a protecting our economy perspective is for every one mile of coastline that we evacuate, it costs us tens of billions of dollars in economic impact. So if we can get that so that we can be more accurate in where that hurricane is actually going to hit on a coast and do less evacuations because of it, we're saving billions of dollars in economic impact just from that one storm. Um, The more we can use our space assets to be more accurate in predicting those things, the better off we'll be and how it will protect our economy as well. Tell me, is this something that people are just waking up to, or did something change in the technology, or these are long coming trends, and what it is is we're starting just to see more of the application in our day-to-day lives? I would say the general public maybe doesn't understand how dependent they are on space. So I love to use these examples because I think they affect everyone in their everyday life to just help them to understand why investment in space 
you know, has um, 10 to 20 times multipliers in terms of the return on that investment in our, in our economy right here. I know you've done a lot on AI or even sensors and how those are changing. Tell us a little bit about how, you know, changes in technology are also going to change some of the use cases going forward. As we think about how we can leverage innovations that are happening here on Earth to benefit us in space, I'll just talk a little bit maybe about space exploration and taking humans further into the frontier than we've ever been before. In order to do that, in order to enable kind of a space economy, and by that I mean actually creating um, revenue in space as opposed to creating revenue on Earth for space, you have to have an infrastructure in space, right? If people are going to be able to live and work in space and actually create money in space, that you have to have an infrastructure. And a lot of the infrastructure that will be required is not that different from the infrastructure and what we expect here on Earth. Industries that are not aerospace companies are going to become space companies, whether they know it or not. And a couple of just fun examples, right? We're currently partnered with General Motors for building uh, a lunar rover. And what we're really leveraging from them is their autonomy that they're using for cars here on Earth and their battery technology as they electrify their fleet. And so taking those innovations that are here on Earth and bringing that into the space market is something that really gives me a lot of energy and, and excitement. But that's just an example. GM is not a space company, but they are going to participate in that. Another really great example is um, we're getting ready to launch Orion for Artemis One, And we have a partnership with Amazon and their Alexa product, as well as Cisco and their WebEx products. And there's no crew on Artemis One, but we're going to fly a payload so that people here on Earth could pretend they're on Orion in that mission. And we'll be able to have VIPs sit in mission control in Houston and actually talk to the Orion spacecraft and understand where she's at at any one time, how fast she's going, and actually get data from the spacecraft. And the fun thing there is we're using technology like you would have in your home, like an Alexa or a WebEx, so that we could have meetings and be able to collaborate together. And people at home can actually talk to their Alexa and ask them uh, what's happening on Orion. So they can simply say, Alexa, fly me to space, and they'll be able to get information about the Artemis mission. It's hard to believe that that's actually possible. I mean, with so many use cases, tell me which ones are you most excited about? If you could put the extra venture capital billion to it, where where would you put it? I think autonomy is going to be a big thing, right? You know, we've been exploring Mars since the 70s with robotic vehicles. And honestly, we've only covered a fraction of the surface of Mars with that. And so if we could, you know, use uh, autonomy like we're doing with self-driving cars here on Earth and be able to put that into our rovers to make them be able to transverse Mars even faster, something we're trying to do with this partnership with GM on the moon, we could go faster. We could cover more of that surface. We could learn more about the resources that are on some of these other planets Because again, in the end, if we need that infrastructure, we're going to have to use those resources on those planets to further our exploration even farther without having to bring fuel with us from Earth. You know, being able to use robots and things to create water by taking, say, maybe the frozen ice water that's on the moon and being able to crack that into drinking water or to crack the hydrogen and oxygen into fuel that would enable us to take rockets off the surface of the moon to go even deeper into space. So a lot of that's going to take 
autonomy, robotics. Um, we're going to have to build up an infrastructure before we actually get to Mars with humans so that they have a place to live. So that's going to be done through, you know, the robotics and autonomy. So that's a, that's a big area. I think another area is some of the things we're looking at with additive manufacturing and 3D printing. We can't take a lot of logistics with us, so we're going to have to create some of that in space as well. Um, and so being able to create what you need um, when you need spare parts for things, I think, is another area that's pretty exciting um, and that could really help us along the way. So fast forward, we're in 2080. Give us a preview. What does the space economy look like? Well, there's actually a space economy. In other words, we are actually making money in space, right? At that point, I think there's people that are maybe working and living on the moon. We have humans that are actually living on Mars. We're, we're building up that infrastructure. We're using those heavenly bodies to go even farther with humans into, into deep space. Maybe we've got folks that are on their way to Jupiter or some other water body that would help us to understand and, and discover some of the secrets. But I think by the 80s, we are definitely got people on the moon, and we definitely have got humans that are uh, on Mars and exploring and, and going from there. With that exciting future, tell us what are some of the uncertainties? What, what keeps you up at night as you think about that trajectory? One of the biggest challenges, and I think about it from a people perspective, is we have been living in the International Space Station for more than two decades now. But it is really easy to phone home and ask for help. And we're only hours away from coming back to Earth if there's a problem. Moon is a little farther, but still only in the order of days away if you need to get back. Um, when we're talking about going to Mars or other planets in our solar system, we're talking about, you know, a multi-year journey. And, you know, it's nine months to get to Mars. And, and then depending on how the planets literally are aligned, it's a matter of how long it takes you to get back. So when we are sending humans further into our solar system, it's going to require them to be more self-sufficient for us to give them the things that they need to solve problems on their own. So that's where things like what we're doing with digital assistance on Orion will be really helpful so that they can query what's happening on their spacecraft. They could have digital tools that may allow them to see, um, you know, a digital twin of the spacecraft that they're on so that they can um, debug problems on their own. A lot of exciting things, I think, maybe on the medical front. They're really going to be in the wilderness, if you will, and have to be able to have ways to treat each other if someone should get hurt or some disease, you know, were to come along. And again, I look to things like being able to 3D print things. Maybe we could be 3D printing medical devices that would be useful to them as well as spare parts for their spacecraft. I mean, just listening to that packing list, that covers so many different parts of the ecosystem, different types of sectors and technologies. How does the collaboration work? I'm sure it's global and multi-sector. Give us a sense of how, how that works today. International Space Station is a great example of that where we have dozens of countries that are supporting and contributing to that effort. Um, Artemis and the, the work we're doing to go to the moon with NASA is very similar, right? Uh, Artemis Accords and the countries and space agencies that are signing on to that. So it's a very collaborative environment. I kind of look at it as, 
you know, from space, there's no dividing lines that are countries and other things. And we really do work together in a collaborative manner. I think some of the things we need to think about is if you think about the architecture, what's going to be required even from an infrastructure like on the moon, we need some standards that we are all building to and interfaces that we can build to so that if anyone has an innovative idea or product they want to contribute, it can sort of plug and play into that. Tell our listeners, uh, what is the promise of the James Webb Telescope? And for some people who may not be immersed in this sector, tell us what is the James Webb Telescope? So the James Webb Telescope is the next great observatory that's helping us to look beyond our solar system and into different galaxies, literally going back in time billions of years to understand how the formation of our galaxies and Earth and other things were formed. And, you know, Lockheed Martin is really excited to have been a part of that by building the NIRCAM instrument. When NIRCAM is a near-infrared instrument, it's just amazing and, and incredible what we're able to see, the fidelity of that with the advances in technology. It's a great example of how technologies have advanced, the sizes have gotten smaller, and we even saw a side-by-side comparison of the Hubble Space Telescope images to a James Webb Space Telescope. And Hubble was the state of the art for its time, but James Webb has got just even higher fidelity um, than what anything we saw on the Hubble Space Telescope. Uh, the thing I still struggle to get my head around is the fact that we're actually seeing backwards in time. All of this helps us to understand what's happened in our solar system, what happens to planets in our solar system, and what might be happening here with on Earth. And giving us those insights really help us to, um, one aspect of it is to protecting our planet, but also to understand the secrets of the universe. And a question that I think a lot of people ask is, are we alone? Are there other species that are out there? So Lisa, can we expect that you'll be on one of these space missions in the near future? (laughs) I'm not sure I would qualify as a NASA astronaut. And uh, maybe someday we'll get to the point where space is accessible and affordable to everyone. And if that's the case, you can count on me to be there. Tell us a little bit about what advice you have for women and girls who want to be pioneers like you. Um, Help each other out. There's a lot of women that have helped me throughout my career to, um, to move in advance, but there's also been a lot of men that have helped me do that and have been my sponsor, my advocate for me. And I think building those networks, having those advocacies has been really helpful for me. When we look at the next career job, if the qualifications, there's 10 things you need, we'll say, well, if I don't have all 10 of those, I'm not qualified for that. Well, that's not true, right? If you have all 10 of those, that job is beneath you. You're not going to be challenged by it. So helping and encouraging each other is really important. And don't do it alone, right? Reach out and get help. Lisa, final question. Your very favorite space technology. What is it? Oh, my gosh. Hmm. I think my favorite space technology and innovation is really around power. Without power, we can't really do anything. I mean, just think about here on Earth. We need power to do everything. And the more of it, the better. So I know for us, from a technology perspective, nuclear power is something that we really see in solar power as two big areas that can help us from a space perspective. With that, thank you so much, Lisa, for joining us. Yeah, thank you, too. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to At The Edge. Go to mckinsey.com to read more of our latest publications. And if you liked what you heard, please leave a rating and a review. See you soon.